Broadcasting from another dimension, deep within the Ghost Shrimp National Forest, sending you secrets from the future directly into your motherfucking mind. <laughs> what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Ghost Shrimp and Friends podcast, episode 79. Boom! Having a fucking good old time over here in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont. With my neighbor, Kent Osborne. This is a very special set of episodes because this is a two-parter that me and Kent recorded last night. Um, This is an interview uh, from Paul Thomas, uh, who's putting together a book about Adventure Time for McFarland and Company Publishing. And me and Kent thought it would be fun to use Paul's questions to interview each other. Um, And so Kent is interviewing me on this episode, and I am interviewing Kent on the next episode with Paul's questions. So it's pretty fun. Um, you know, we, 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 we answer the questions, but we also have a lot of back and forth dialogue and, and follow up questions. Um, we got a, about an hour of content out of my interview and Ken, Ken thought he would only be about 15 minutes on his and he ended up, uh, we got two hours of content out of his interview. I think I probably just asked more follow up questions. Um, but, uh, we had a, we had a real rootin' tootin' old time over there at, uh, Ken's clubhouse bed and breakfast up the road here. Um, and, uh, we, we, we got the, we got the, we got the best of a bottle of whiskey and, you know, just really, uh, you can hear our friendship come through here. Lots of boisterous laughter. And we went deep into the night, you know, I went over there and I think we started recording around like eight thirty ish and we didn't finish recording until around midnight. So we just had a fucking great time, and uh, hopefully Paul can get a lot of good content out of here. Um, listeners to the podcast have heard me talk a lot about Adventure Time, so you know, uh, you know, some of it is you know redundant information. Um, and you've heard Kent talk about Adventure Time on here, um, episode uh, forty nine. Uh, is me and Kent reacting to the Adventure Time finale. I think we uh, reference that in this pod. I think I call it episode 50. Um, It's actually episode 49. Episode 50 is uh, some more thoughts that I had about Adventure Time. But you can go back through this podcast um, if you haven't heard them. Uh, There's many guests from Adventure Time. Phil Rinda, Jesse Moynihan, Akko Castuera, uh, Andy Restaino. Um, obviously Kent a bunch of times, uh, I'm probably forgetting some people, um, but uh, there's lots of good Adventure Time content hidden throughout the Go Shrimp and Friends podcast because some of my best friends worked on Adventure Time, you know, made some great friendships on Adventure Time, 
And now Kent Osborne is my neighbor because of Adventure Time. So it's a magical, magical, magical world, right? So, um, yeah, fuck it. Let's just jump right into this thing and uh, get it rolling. Uh, jump on over, hear what my man AWOL1 from the Shapeshifters got to say. <laughs> All right, here we are once again at Casa de Kent Osborne. And we are here today to do an Adventure Time interview. So Kent will be playing the role of Paul Thomas, the interviewer. He sent us questions to be used in his book for McFarland and Company Publishing. Is that... McFarland? Is that... Uh, Seth McFarland? <laughs> is it Todd McFarland? Todd Which McFarland is this? We need more information is on this. Is there a third McFarland? <laughs> the McFarland brothers. And is this Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> yes, and there's so many names, questions that we have. We're going to be sending him back an interview, and he's going to have someone interview him about our questions. We're going to get to the bottom of this. And I, I should point out, too, that uh, Paul Thomas, he uh, emailed me a while ago, and uh, <clears throat> I forgot to reply to him. <laughs> right, right. He's He's been asking us both for the last year to participate in this yeah. book he's been writing. And I thought, well, it'd be fun to do it on the podcast. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. My initial thought was, I'm, there's what else can be said about Adventure Time? Like, there's been so many interviews and, right. and, and people talking about it. and um, So I wasn't uh, too gung-ho about maybe doing another interview. But, uh, but then you were excited about it. And yes. I'm, I'm pretty impressionable. Right. And there's not much to do around here. <laughs> right. It's pretty slow. It's the uh, march in the, in the Northeast <laughs> Kingdom of Vermont. Yeah. So we're looking for anything. So now I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ask away. Yeah. Now we got our whiskey out. Now we're hanging out. Now it's a good old time. Yeah. So. This is way better than an interview. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Somehow after doing the podcast, now the thought of sit, just sitting down and like crafting right. a response to an interview, it right. seems like a real big thing to do so yeah it seems much more easy and fun to just jump on it yeah and also there's like i don't even know technically we're allowed to do inter i think there's like cartoon arc has their own pr department and they, right they kind of get upset if you I remember there was a time where they sat us down and they were like run it by us if anybody's asking you anything you have to run it by us first and i remember kelly had like we had yeah. a big social media like yeah, yeah. like you know she's like i know some of you have followings but we need to just see what you know people are saying and the big thing <laughs> is if a famous person came in to do a voice we were not allowed to tweet about it or right. say because they want to but but then they would you know <laughs> you would, whenever you'd see like an article at adventure time like season eight it would be like Famous voices include Bobcat Goldthwait, who like, did have one voice like in season two. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right. All shout, right. Shout out to the PR department. Yeah, shout out to the PR department. Do, shout out got, to Cartoon Network. They got a lot of shows. They got a lot, a lot of. They got a lot on their plate, a lot of balls and, in and the we air. were, uh, you know, we were, we were a wild group of 
of of uh, young artists yeah. right at the time where that I feel like the whole social media presence was kind of blowing up at that time too. For sure, yeah. yeah. So I was, I think, of you know, obviously interesting part of the Adventure Time story is yeah. that. It was, I think, one of the first times that artists had social media followings that were working on a show. Yeah. That was kind of the era of that, which is cool. Yeah, so, the, one of the last one of those social media social media training things we went to, they, they said, you have to go to your profiles right now and you have to write, like, these are, uh, these thoughts are my own and don't right. reflect hardship. <laughs> <laughs> which seems a little... I couldn't do it. I, I was, we were split. They told us to do it. And I was like, ah, it just seems like I'm full of myself. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah, right, right. These are my own thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds a little pompous. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. But These are thoughts that pass through my head randomly and do not reflect the thoughts that pass through Cartoon Network's mind yeah. <laughs> as a corporation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, so we'll we'll go with the first question here from Paul Thomas. Shout out to Paul Thomas for being a persistent interviewer. Yeah, and we're doing this. I'm going to ask you these questions, and then you're going to do a second podcast where you ask me questions. Correct. I'm going to interview you. You don't want to do it all in one. Podcast. <laughs> well, we'll see how long it goes. Because so. okay, because <laughs> my theory is that you want to see which podcast gets the most. No, no, no. It's Jeez. not a competition. No, absolutely not. That's hilarious. That's where your mind went. Yeah. He's trying to see who's more popular. Yeah. No, no, no. No, I'm just trying to... I, I'm just thinking, you know... This is rigged. Getting too like the juicy. No, more content, too juicy podcast, you right, know? Right, right. Adventure Time Interview Part 1, Adventure Time Interview Part 2. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, if it's all, you know, if it's all under an hour or something, but right. I figure we'd each... Okay. It would take us close each to an hour, so... All right. We shall see. To be determined. TBD. I mean, I'm just going to say, your yours is probably going to get more, because it's your podcast. Mm, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think the ones where other people are on are usually higher rated. Unless, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Mm. You have to do some research. Okay. Do <laughs> some research on that. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you the first question. <clears throat> From Paul Thomas. Yeah, and then we're just gonna kind of riff off of it, but we're gonna we're gonna use the eight questions as a framework of this conversation about Adventure Time between the head writer of Adventure Time and the head designer of Adventure Time. Yeah. Boom. Two cool guys. And Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> and Seth MacFarlane. And Todd and McFarlane. company. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The first question. <clears throat> On your podcast a few years ago, you mentioned that Cartoon Network Studios was sort of in a state of turmoil when Adventure Time first went into production. Can you elaborate on this? And then this is part of the same question. What was the early working environment like in the studio there? Mm, two-parter, two-parter. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the turmoil at that time, that was the Cartoon Network reel, the CN reel. Oh, right, live action. <laughs> yeah, because they, they had yeah. an executive who was, who, uh, who's not there anymore. Yeah. Who wanted live action. Right. And yeah, right. this was right around the time where they started launching a whole bunch of reality shows, children reality shows. Yeah. And I remember people kind of really laughing at it and thinking like, this is pretty silly for Cartoon Network to be trying to, you know, compete with Nickelodeon and Disney in the reality space when, you know, this is really supposed to be more of the 
you know, innovative cartoon space. Um, but that's the kind of, I, so I feel like there was sort of an identity crisis going on and, and I had it in my mind, I don't know if I had heard people say this or what, but that I, I, th there seemed to be a sense that if adventure time didn't go anywhere, then it, cartoon network was maybe going to do some more drastic changes. Like, I don't know, sell to another network or something like that. Do you remember mm. anything like that? No, I remember them. I remember uh, Rob Sorcher came from AMC, and he the word around the water cooler was that oh, the, he greenlit Breaking Bad and Mad Men. Right, I remember that, and that was exciting because I watched both those shows at the time, and I was like, oh my god, those shows are great. Yeah. So it was this. It was this new. Um, C, he's not CEO. What is he? CFO? No, that's the financial officer. All right, he's chief content CCO. Okay. Chief content go. officer. Yeah. But it was like exciting to, that there was a, someone who has like really good taste, and the very first thing he did was green light Adventure Time. Yeah, and so like I feel like Adventure Time had all this uh, like sort of um, attention and pressure on it because that that was the first show he greenlit. Yeah. So I, I I remember that, and I and also at the same time they were sort of yeah launching this like uh, live action division. Yeah. And uh, and it was funny because like yeah, kids were just. It's Cartoon Network. I remember there being a lot of backlash about it and just, yeah, being and hearing the the different artists on the shows laugh about it. And yeah, so I just remember that. And also, yeah, there being some sort of some sort of sense that the that the that the network was in trouble. And I think maybe that was more after the CN real stuff started to crash. It was like, oh, my God, like what is mm -hmm. like what, what was all that? And like, right. you know, what what is going to happen next? And they were they were going through a weird. They, they had like they had shows like Dexter's Lab and Powerpuff Girls, but yeah, then that, that those had sort of like ended, and then there was sort of like all the shows that were on the air weren't that popular. Yeah, that was a cool thing actually. I remember when I first got there because I you know I I really didn't know anything about Cartoon Network. I didn't know well I didn't know anything about like how how cartoons were made or anything like that behind the scenes and. When I first got there, it was it, it felt like a kind of a changing of the guard. Like Craig McCracken was still there, mm -hmm. and Gendy was there working yeah. on his uh, Titan show. What was that one called? Oh, um, Symbiotic Titan. Symbiotic Titan. He was trying to get that off the ground, and that didn't really go. But it was like, yeah, the, the old guard who like I totally was, you know, obsessed with when those cartoons came out was kind of ending. But it was so cool. I was like, oh my god, like all these guys are here, and the uh, and um. What's his name? The guy who did uh, Eon Flux, Peter Chang. Is oh his yeah, name? yeah. Um, Peter Chen. What's his name? I don't know why I'm blanking on his name. I'm trying to remember the show. The show is called Dragon Fire Breather. Fire yeah. Breather. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Fire Breather. Yeah. So the so yeah, there was all these like, there was all these dudes who were legendary that were that were kind of tailing off. I remember Craig McCracken was like working on a comic. Or something like in a cubicle, just on his own, and he was on the floor. Uh, that I think Adventure Times was on, and and I remember like the there was a big case of the Powerpuff Girls toys and everything yeah, were yeah. still there, and then at a certain time they got packed up and it was gone. No, he was. I got off. I got off the elevator one day, and Craig was McCracken was was putting them all in a box because it was wow. like his last day on the wow. at the studio. Like they let him go. And yeah, 
Yeah, so I remember there being a real sen- a sense of like you know kind of a the the old, like the first wave of success that had built the network was kind of cresting, and then they were kind of going into this new realm, and it was they were kind of trying to figure out what that was going to be, um, and for me it was like it was incredibly awkward because I had just gotten fired from flapjack and i was now one floor below on adventure time and i was like you know hoping that things were gonna go the fit felt much better on adventure time for me because they wanted me to storyboard on flapjack and that turned out not to be a good fit and then you know i really wanted to do some kind of drawing based thing there and you know then when it when it turned out that you know pen and pat really wanted me to design the world for adventure time boom it was a perfect fit so it was this weird, the, the, the working environment for me was this really weird combination of me feeling really awkward and taking the biggest kind of ego blow of my life, like coming out to Cartoon Network and thinking like I was the man and then quickly being fired and then kind of getting this second opportunity on Adventure Time that felt like a much better fit. And I was extremely excited about it. But at the same time, the first season of Adventure Time was very tumultuous and when I got on I everybody around me was f- being fired like they had fired the people that were before me and then as I came on you know slowly all the story all the original storyboard people that were there when I came on all started getting fired and so it was like a mix of like being me still being really excited me sort of being disillusioned with my first impression of Cartoon Network through Flapjack and then me kind of feeling very awkward and and beaten down by like being fired and then still being there and like, you know, feeling very awkward about it. But then just feeling super pumped about this second chance to prove myself and it being a much better fit and it being with Penn and Pat and and Adam, um, obviously there in the beginning. And then I remember Phil Rinda came on shortly after me and I remember talking to him and, and I had kind of known him a bit through Pete, uh, Pete Browngart, who, you know, I'd been friends with before I started working at Cartoon Network. And, 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 and I had kind of been staying with Pete a lot when I was coming out and like freelancing on Flapjack and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I remember the working environment was very much a learning experience because I was observing everything for the first time. I thought I was going to walk in and everybody was going to be animating and all this stuff. But of course, that's done overseas. So it was kind of just getting to meet all these storyboard artists, but then then kind of being fired and us being kind of working for two to four weeks and then there being like two to four weeks off right after that. And I remember Penn being like, you know, hey, if you need money, I'll give you money. Don't worry about it. And that like being a very like, you know, that made it like a big impression on me. I was like, wow, he like really cares and he really wants me to work on this show. And that was like very touching because I kind of had my heart broken by the, you know, by the previous experience. And then so that felt like that kind of like renewed my spirit in a way like, oh, wow, it is more than just business. Like, because I felt like I was treated very businesslike in the first encounter. And then this was going beyond business. And Penn was like, hey, I know this is like crazy, but like, if you need money, let me know. And like, you know, I'll, I'll pay your salary. Like, until we like get going and I was like wow this is like that's really special so I think that that gave me some more faith in it and just you know me the big thing on first season for me was figuring out how to draw fast enough because coming from the illustration world I was used to spending you know three to seven days on 
an illustration and all of a sudden I had to do two to three backgrounds a day and, you know, 10 to 10 plus backgrounds a week. Um, and you know, being very scared about being able to keep up with the pace of things and then just all the other turmoil. So it was like, it was a real mix of, of extremely exciting and, 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 and I could kind of feel how creative adventure time was and and I was blown away when when like you know Penn and Pat would would share the the you know the storyboards that they're working on and and when I would I remember Doug Tenaple was there storyboarding uh, you know he was doing some freelance boards in the beginning I thought that was really cool because you know I, I like Doug Tenaple's books and it was kind of like this weird whirlwind of 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 new experience and all that and and and. And obviously, in the beginning, nobody knew what it was going to become. So it was kind of this funny thing where it was like, oh, my God, is this even going to keep going on a week to week basis? But the the stuff we were working on felt like so incredibly fresh and so incredibly creative. And I was so into it. And I was like, God, I'm having so much fun. This is a perfect fit like for me just to draw you know, I had I had come from living in a cabin that I had built in the woods with my dog and then had ended up designing this show of this, you know, this magical world that I had grown up in the woods and I was really pulling on all my personal mythology and all my nostalgia of being a kid in the woods and, you know, just playing out and building forts and following brooks and just making up, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, like battle games, you know, we'd be sword fighting with sticks and stuff. It, it you know, the, the, the ethos, the creative ethos of Adventure Time felt so connected to my creativity that I knew it was such an amazing fit. But yeah, the big question mark was just like, I was so rocked by the reality of, of what I had experienced so far at Cartoon Network and I was, and what I was still continuing to experience. And then like just the general upheaval of Cartoon Network and the 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 battle that it was so crazy to me that Penn and Pat were clearly working on genius level cartoon ideas and something that was so new and fun, but the executives were so apprehensive about what it was going to be and and making sure that they were getting what they wanted out of it. That you know that was the impression of the first season. It was kind of an epic battle to see if we were going to be able to have this amazing idealistic creative project continue you know or if it was going to kind of die on the vine so you know i think that 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 was kind of my impression and 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 feelings about the first season um but you know again you know the doing the designing the designing the 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 main locations was some of the craziest work that I had ever done up to that point. I think because I was, I don't think it's great to be scared, like to use fear or like, you know, stress as like a motivator because I think it would be toxic in in the long run. But because I was so, it was a weird intoxicating cocktail of being like really inspired and like really scared that I was still going to go home and like to have to tell everybody that like, this grand thing of going out to work at Cartoon Network in LA wasn't going to happen, you know, that I, I think I really leveled up in a crazy way. Like I was so motivated to force whatever I could, whatever my contribution to this project was, I was so determined to make it 
the absolute best thing that I can do because I felt like it was life or death for me at that point creatively. And, and it felt like that for the show too. So, you know, it was like, uh, it was a very strange time that I've never, I've never felt again. I've never been, I've never produced from a place of fear like that before. And I think like the, that went, it, it made me, go into an unconscious like like absolute out of my mind free style free form flow because the big thing with drawing fast enough was I had to abandon drawing in pencil and I had to draw in straight pen that was how I kind of broke my habits of drawing slowly in illustration so it was me sitting there with a pen and just you know drawing as as frantically and 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 just trying to say like I'm going to do my best work right now and it's going to come straight out the tip of this pen and me being so focused I think it's one of the most one of the times I've been most focused in my life I felt like a laser beam and I was doing these insane Frankenstein drawings where because I wasn't erasing with a pencil I was drawing with a pen and I was erasing with like a like a, a whiteout pen, but I was also like putting, you know, people draw on sticky notes and stuff. I was also putting sticky notes on the drawings and drawing over them. They were almost these weird drawn collages, some of those early pieces and, you know, some of the treehouse stuff. And, and I've never, ever drawn like that since. So it was like a, it was a very odd and once in a lifetime moment. That first season especially was so supercharged with every kind of emotion and every kind of anticipation and expectation and feeling that I had. And it was amazing that that ended up turning into a best case scenario. Because, I mean, all the while, the weirdest thing too is you're telling people, hey, I'm working on this show called Adventure Time. But nobody really knows what that is at the same time either. So it's like you're kind of toiling away in the in silence. And, and everybody in your life is like you know, doesn't really, can't really, doesn't really know what you're doing. So it's like, it was a real, it was a, one of the weirdest times in my life, I think, that first season of Adventure Time. All right, did you get all that, Paul? <laughs> what, how long were you going? That was, that, that's so the was most, 21 in, minutes. that's the most in-depth one there. <laughs> so wait, is he going to just transcribe all that? I don't know what book? he's going to do. We're giving him the goods, so, you know, he a, can, yeah, yeah, let's get a little, <laughs> let's get a little whiskey going. I told you it was gonna take an hour yeah, for for each one. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. Well, you know, I like to go. Also, yeah, yeah. we've talked a lot about this, so I'm yeah. tr I'm trying to I'm trying to do two things. Oh. I'm trying to lay it out for the audience of the book who sure. hasn't heard the stuff, but I'm sure. also trying to think of maybe what haven't we covered, you know, on the pod <laughs> right, and all right. that. So Ken's already ready to end it. He's already out on this. You know, like, what time it. is it right now? That's the only question. And man. that's it. <laughs> I gotta get early tomorrow. Spoil sap. Ugh. Um, well, it's hard too because I want to jump. I'm like thinking I'm remembering. Right, stuff, right, right. So yeah, yeah, in. yeah. And feel free to jump in. Feel free to jump in. <laughs> that that's the that was the 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 most that 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 first question has the most in it for yeah. me. You know, like there's so much going on. I mean, do you have any? Is there anything? Well, I remember so season one. You know, <clears throat> yeah, it was Penn and Pat and Adam, and they were like you know writing and 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 boarding, and I think you know the first they turned in like the first four boards or six boards. And that's when the executives were like, we don't know what this is. Mm -hmm. Like we, this doesn't, it, it, because they were they're they're Yeah. They're genius. Like they were working on this like genius level and they were doing what they, what they wanted the show to be. 
And I think no one, had, you know, people were confused by it. They were like, I don't, this doesn't look like other shows that we have on right now. But the other shows that were on were like, you know, whatever. Like, you can look it up, what shows were on Cartoon Network <laughs> at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and so I think that's when they were like, okay, hold on, we're stopping production. We're going to figure this out. And I remember talking, you know, talking, and I was still on Flapjack. Like, I was working on Flapjack. Right. And I remember because there were, I was on the third floor and you guys were on the second floor. And there was like a big, uh, the big hole. There's a big hole because <laughs> the the building we were in used to be a phone company or something, or something. But there was like a it used to be like a smokestack there or something. Anyways, there was a big hole with like a, a like a ledge, and you could like kind of lean your elbows on the ledge and look down yeah. to the second floor. Yeah. And I remember they they stopped production because you know because they they were turned in storyboards where it was like Finn and Jake come across a couple giants in a field like sniffing big flowers mm -hmm. and they were so you know they smell so good and you know jake's like why and he grows big to smell the flower and he's like oh they do smell good and then finn wants the smell of the flower but he's too small and like that was an episode and the executive in charge of the show was like that's not a real that's not a finn motivation and you know and penn was like it's not you know <laughs> yeah and yeah. so they they were just like they like they, i think they're you know when you have a show that it's like the when it's in the first season it's not on the air yet you don't know if it's if it's good or not you don't like you're an executive you're not maybe not a creative person so you're not gonna you you it's hard to like look at something and be like i don't know if this is you know i this is confusing to me i don't like this doesn't seem like which is crazy that like non-creative people are the ones trying to interpret what's working in a Purely right, creative but, there's, but they're just trying to do their best job because yeah. it's like their jobs are on the line, and yeah. it's like there's a lot of money being spent on this, and you want you don't want to do something that's so out there that people don't. So, so then they, that's when they brought in like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna bring in, a, you know, Derek Dryman and like Meriwether and like because right. they they had worked on SpongeBob and they right. had like they were, you know, they were I think you know maybe they thought they looked at Penn and Pat and was like okay they haven't run a show before so let's bring in some people that have some experience with the show and i remember looking i was big on the third floor and like looking down at the hole and there was like a meeting and yeah. everyone was like there were like derek was like talking to the crew and like fred like was like saying i think pen i believe in pen pen's gonna revolutionize television and and um but i remember like it was like oh, this is weird like is this show even gonna get on the air yeah and uh and i think because they brought them in like i think derek and meriwether like kind of helped them get the show on the air because then the executives could be like okay we're we feel comfortable now like there's there's two people here that have a lot of experience and they've worked on spongebob and they're like like we can like sort of let them and uh yeah that's i mean i remember that's what i remember that's before i even w was on the show like that was like yeah. the, the that that kind of like when they stopped at that first season they stopped the production to like kind of re retool and and kind of add people to the crew and help pen and pat and i remember i think that's when adam like just he then was just doing storyboard right right yeah i remember that yeah 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 and it's funny and yeah they they yeah the the these these sort of adults were called into like chaperone the party but yeah. then they weren't even good fits for it so it was like you know that kind of like ran its course and i guess it made the executives feel comfortable in that transitory period but i think for well, I think they came in and they were like, okay, here's what we want to do. And Penn and Power just like, well, we want to do, like, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, I was just kind of like, this is all based on, you know, this, 
being around in the studio while yeah. this was going on, but it seemed like, yeah, they would kind of do something and then Penn and Pat would go in and kind of change it and then they would go in and change it back. And then yeah, and it was like a tug of war. Yeah, this eventually. This just going back and forth. Yeah, and I think they were like, okay, we're not, like, this isn't our thing. Like, we're, you know, once it was on the air, they were like, okay, we're going to go do something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. But I think they, if they didn't hadn't come in, I don't think the show would have gotten on the air. Right, because there wouldn't have been that trust, you know. Because yeah. it is. I mean, I can see how it would be hard if you're seeing they want revolutionary stuff, but then when you see something revolutionary, by definition, you're not going to know what you're looking at. So they're thinking like, what the what the heck is this? Yeah. Because I remember Penn and Pat being like, "Yeah, we just want it to be like fun." moments you know yeah. just like little fun moments of these characters just out wandering around this magical world also if you look at the pilot like the pilot had no he didn't get any notes he just made something right and like you know he had all this kind of creative freedom to just kind of make whatever like that's that was the pro you know the nickelodeon short program we're just like hey we're gonna give you some money you make whatever you want like right. they were just they were just like rolling the dice so. yeah and i think yeah Rob Sarcher, like to his credit, like saw that pilot and was like, "Okay, there's something here. Like, yeah, this is like I want to like develop this further." And like, you know, Nickelodeon passed on it, and Rob Sarcher was like, "No, no, no, I think this could be a show." So, I mean, yeah, it was like this weird kind of balancing act where they were like, "Okay, we believe in this, we believe in Pat and Pat, but also we're a little scared, and we want to make sure that this that nobody like." Uh, loses their job because they greenlit the show that failed you know right which like shows were failing left and right, right. all around us but it's, <laughs> i think it's frustrating to someone who's creative who's like no this is the thing i want to like this is what i think is funny this is what i think is good and this, yeah you know i know i'd be really curious to ask pen if you know if if what we ended up with how you know what that compares to what he projected out Adventure Time would kind of be in his own world. And I mean, I love first season because they yeah. were they would they would stay there all night and just be in the Anak room, like like tweaking every little moment. And there's all these there's like like all those episodes from first season. I think are so beautiful and perfect, and they're they're so dense and full of, of yeah. all these great character moments. And like, I mean, they you really like you know immediately like who Finn and Jake are and like. I don't know. That, the first season's great, but you but you do see that it's like it's totally different from what the show evolved into. You yeah, know? because it had all those, uh, you know, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of voices in the room, and and it being pulled in different directions. But yeah, it, yeah. The first season is 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 so different than the other ones, but it's it's so cool that. Still, through all of that struggle, it the the originality and the vision of the show came through and connected with an audience and allowed us to go and then make you know what yeah. the the best of what we could do with you know with what we were allowed yeah. to do. Yeah, and, is, it's, and it's it's difficult to say like oh executives ruined it because they didn't like it, right. it was great like that first season is awesome. Right, but it's like I like yeah, I love executives. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I continue to work. Yeah, can still. She's still employed at Cartoon Network, so. <laughs> He's okay. a company man. Question two. Company man. Yeah. All right. Please, Paul Thomas, don't don't make me out to be a, a, a rabble rouser. Okay. Question two. 
you remember what production for season two is like when compared to season one. I know the seasons might blur together a little, but I'm curious if the production problems that had plagued season one were still an issue by season two. Yeah, I think it definitely blurs together the the seasons. I was there for seasons one through four. Um, but yeah, it felt like season two that we started to get the people that that were, you know, we kind of get crewed up, you know, we, we the, the crew kind of started to assemble. Um, you know, a lot of the key players were, were there for season two, you know, the, the, of the first initial, you know, push of, of, of starting to build that mythology and stuff that, that really, you know, made the show, I think, able to run for so long. Um, and it seemed to get smoother. The more it went on, the smoother it got. I think we had a little bit more confidence from the executives at that point. Were we on the air when we started season two? We must have been, right? I don't know. When did Adventure Time... Here, I'm going to look it up. Yeah. But when I look at the list I don't think of we like... Were. I don't, okay, Because I remember, I remember um, Penn pitching uh, Nightosphere. Right. And Rebecca was like playing the ukulele, right? And I feel like we weren't on the air then. I feel I feel like we were still like, like he was pitching to the execs. It was like a big. It was, right. it, was it was weird to be where it was like the the people who boarded weren't pitching, doing the final pitch. Like yeah. it was Penn doing the final pitch, and it was like a it was very performative and like it was a big production. We were like in the main thing. Sorry, yeah. this is your interview. No, no, <laughs> no. It's, just, it's a combo. But I'm just wondering because a lot, you know, with animation, it takes so long to get right on the air. That yeah, I feel like we were doing season two before we even got on the air. I mean, that might have been true. That might have been true. It's a good question, but I feel like when I was looking through, because I was trying to remember, and I was looking through the Wikipedia and then and and the names of everybody who's working on the episodes. You know, right. we, you know, you're there. Tom's there. You know, Akko's there, Jesse's there, Sambalai's there. Jesse you know. was season two. Yeah, yeah. Rebecca was season two. Right. So, yeah, we're talking about season two, right? Yeah, 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 yeah sorry. Yeah. But I'm saying they weren't in season one. Right, no, we're talking about season two now, right? Yeah. Yeah. But did Tom... Yeah, it was Tom. Tom wasn't in season one, huh? Oh, he was... He was maybe... Because he came on as a character designer. Oh, wait, he, and then... he's credited as uh, he Freak City. He and, he and Penn. Right. Yeah, he was there, but like... You start to see more of the crew assembled yes. in season two, and and I think we had worked out the kinks, and and were 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 the were the were the chaperones still with us at that point, or had they no. been? Yeah, so we had shed the chaperones, which I think, yeah, because <laughs> when the chaperones were there, there was definitely a like it like a weird tension and like a us and them type of vibe a little bit right. I felt like you know and and it, I don't think it was anybody's particular fault it was just you know the chemistry is everything and and finding the right people and then you know when when it was that when we started to get that crew together and then we were all really mind melding I felt like we were all you know getting inspired by each other and and the I think the the office atmosphere changed and it was more fun and and loose and you know starting to feel like it was it was it was gonna that we were there and we were gonna do our job and we were gonna have a chance to do this thing and we changed floors 
Yeah, we changed floors, we and to... for me, like flapjack was canceled and gone, and that was like <laughs> that was like a load off of my chest. You know, I felt like ah, yeah, fuck those guys. Like I fucking what? outlasted them. Dude, Thurp's Thir- <laughs> idea was for you to go on a time. I know. I mean, that's true, but you know, I mean, <laughs> and, and we haven't explained the whole like you know situation there, but you know, uh, sure, it's like a bra- it's like a breakup. Right, yeah, you know, when someone kicks you down and then offers to pick you back up again, it still doesn't feel that great, you know, so, but yeah, you know, so it was... That's it, when they renovated the studio. Yeah. And then we moved, right? We moved to the third floor? I know, when they renovated the studio, we moved down back to the second floor. Yeah. Anyways, I don't remember. Sorry. I mean, you know, and I was I wasn't in the studio as much. Obviously, you were much more in the day to day. Is Paul Thomas going to do a whole chapter on what floor we were on? <laughs> yeah, so the discrepancy of what floor was yeah. done. Chapter four, floor three. <laughs> there was no second floor on Cartoon Network. Did they even ever work on the show? Um. But yeah, so yeah, I mean, I think I think it just started to kind of settle in more, and it did start to feel a little more solid. It was definitely less scary, you know. I started to, from from my perspective, I started to be able to draw in pencil again and then ink over it rather than just drawing in straight ink. I had kind of gotten my confidence back, and 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 from my perspective, I had been able to prove to myself that I could work fast enough um, yeah. to to do this. And and again, Nick Jennings, the art director. Um, was like super accommodating to you know my strengths um, which I think really made it possible for me to flourish on the show Um, and yeah I was feeling much more comfortable um, and and things were feeling better overall in the second season for sure I feel like in the writer's room it was there was definitely like season three the beginning of season three is when they were like okay we're gonna start leaving you alone yeah like just in terms of uh, notes and and like they were like because the show was up it was on the air it was doing well and then the executives were kind of like focusing on other shows that were that were being developed and so i feel like yeah end of season two season three is like they started taking their foot off our necks yeah that sounds about right in a a totally like positive way (laughs) yes yes in the best possible way i mean you know we're all very happy with how it turned out so you know i mean you know we're it was all a growing experience for everybody and you know i mean i'm sure going looking backwards the the executives might feel like wow you know maybe we were a little overbearing in the beginning these guys turned out to know what they were doing and when we gave them the reins they created one of the greatest shows to ever be on television for for cartoons but so. i think you know it's safe to say that like without the executives there would be no adventure time <laughs> I mean, it's literally true <laughs> it's true <laughs> it's literally true and shout out to curtis curtis lalash my personally favorite executive he's the best yeah he was i'm not that's not the executive i'm referring to <laughs> <laughs> um all right ready for the next question yeah what motivated you to leave the show during season four? Was it strange handing off the baton to other folks? Um, it wasn't strange uh, handing off the baton because it was it was really always my plan and my vision to leave to only work at Cartoon Network for a couple of years. I had a very elaborate plan of my future where you know I had started out living in this cabin and and really wanting to buy my own land and. 
and start to you know kind of follow down this this calling I had to to homestead and 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 do this wacky stuff you know back in New England. That was what brought me out there in the first place. So it was always my plan to leave. Um, and um, and and also like the you know freelance is, being a freelance illustrator is truly the thing I love the most. I I love the fact that I was able to go out to LA and and work at Cartoon Network and 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 what ended up happening with Adventure Time, you know, the time that I got to spend there was so well spent and I learned so much and I grew so much as an artist. Uh, I did more work in that time than I probably done in the rest of my career combined just because of the volume of workflow and so I leveled up so much and I and I just kind of matured a lot and and learned a lot about the the whole business aspect of everything that was going on there met so many of the people that you know inspire and influence me and and some great friends and of course you're here you know because of that you yeah. know and, and continuing to just pay dividends and and it, and 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 doing that stand at Cartoon Network and and developing the world for adventure time I think is you know was the is the biggest feather in my cap still but freelance illustration is really my calling and and what I'm best at and what I love to do the most and and I'm really not a work in the office 9 to 5 studio guy that's just not my thing um I'm 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 not so much of a member of the pack as I am kind of a, a always someone that's kind of going off and doing my own thing and and wanting to really be able to evolve my craft without limitation and there are certain limitations when you're working on one big project and you know I never before or after spent you know three and a half years focusing on one world one project you know one line of of kind of creative thinking um so yeah it was always the plan to leave but you know I mean that that the time that I spent there was some of the most exciting greatest time you know of of my creative career and and was something that I never expected to experience. I've always loved cartoons. I've been influenced by cartoons, but I never, it was never a goal of mine to really go and make cartoons with a studio. So the fact that I was able to do that and it was such an integral part of so many people's childhoods and, and my drawings were on the McDonald's box and, and on the Adventure Time Monopoly board and 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 they you know it's the, the I mean the the amount of people that were exposed to my work through that and and all that was 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 so amazing so yeah it wasn't it wasn't weird to pass it on because I was just I'd always expected that and and that's kind of how that world works anyway people are always coming and going on shows and and I felt like we had established you know obviously we had, in the in the first four seasons we had established the the world so thoroughly and I felt like I had really put my stamp on it so well that. At that time, I felt like I'd really done what I could do on it. And I was actually kind of feeling like creatively stagnant, like it was really time for me to go and relaunch my freelance career as an illustrator. I had been doing some illustration at the time, you know, in L.A. when I was working on Adventure Time. But because, you know, I was working probably 60 hours a week on the show because I was putting everything, you know, that I absolutely had into it. Um you know, I was working so much on it. I didn't get to do as much illustration. It was definitely time to come back. And also I had met my wife and we had had our son Wolfie and there was no way I was going to be raising my son in LA. So that was another thing just to, that shots fired fired in LA. But yeah, I didn't, you know, know, why didn't you want to raise 
Wolfie and well, obviously, you know, I'd already bought the land in Vermont and, you know, I'm a, I'm a hardcore New Englander and, and you know, I had already decided that I was going to I was going to be here. But, yeah, I, I just, you know, the 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 idea of raising a kid in the city is just far from what I would what I you know, my childhood growing up in the forest was 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 so I loved it so much that I've really felt like the whole point of me kind of getting land and and wanting to get land to pass down to my children and all that you know I had this whole other vision going in my head at the time and obviously still living that out that you know the idea of 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 having my child start to grow up in the city and start to get into school in the city and and in that world was just you know just not not going to vibe with the vision that I had right, you know, right. and, and still have. So. so not LA, just a city. Any town. city, yeah. any city. Yeah. Not, I mean, I think in new England it is, you know, LA gets a very bad rap, you know, and, and it seems like, you know, the cliche is it's a very superficial, you know, uh, silly place to go. I think there's a really, uh, common misconception or perception of that on the East coast that it's kind of a joke city. Um, having been there, having lived in New York and LA, um, you know, and, and having amazing experiences in both cities. I mean, I'm a country boy for sure. And I've spent most of my life in rural New England. Um, but you know, New York going to college in New York and, and having the influence of hip hop culture and, and, and all that in New York, having such a big impact on me and treating me incredibly well and getting my start through, you know, doing illustrations for the New York times and stuff. So New York has an amazing place in my heart and then going out to LA and, 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 you know, designing the world for adventure time and, and, and getting involved in, in the studios and, and getting so many opportunities through that. I mean, my time, my short, I've spent about four years in each city and they both have been huge, uh, parts of my development and, and stepping stones in my life and super important, but it, it, my heart is definitely in the forest and that's where my imagination and my nostalgia is rooted. So you know, getting my kids that same kind of experience was always been, you know, such a goal of mine. And, and, for, and for me to spend, you know, my, the, 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 the better years of my life with that high quality, very rural forest life is, is a no brainer. Question four. How did you come to work on steaks? What was going through your head? When you were asked to return, uh, they reached out to me to work on steaks. Um, you know, well, that was season seven. So, so when there, you left, you hadn't done any freelance. I hadn't done any freelance. Wow. Yeah, Nick Jennings was like, "Well, yeah. do you want? Do you want us to like? Yeah, yeah. We, you can work from there. Like, we'll set you up." But I was like, you know, full blown maniac, and yeah. we were we were, you know, coming here, and there was just a forest, and I was just going in with a chainsaw to like build a house so there was no way i could have like just come here and started doing background I, I remember when we were writing steaks and uh adam was like yeah ghost shrimp's gonna do back and i was like whoa like it was like a, it was like you were coming you were like coming back yeah yeah and, and and yeah so that was a real homecoming and yeah at the time that i left like i said i was feeling very much hungry to return to illustration what were and you I, doing for money when you moved here well, I had maybe 20 grand saved up, but that went pretty quick, you yeah. know, buying like the kit for the first part of the house yeah. and, and just living and all that stuff. But, you know, like I started just doing 
you know, kind of, uh, I started doing freelance stuff again and, you know, just kind of putting it together. And I mean, I think I maybe made $12,000 the next year or something. I went from like 75 grand to like maybe $12,000. So yeah, I mean, it was, I didn't have much lined up. I mean, a lot of the stuff we, I mean, I I knew most of my time was going to be spent doing building stuff. So you know, I was basically building. And then once we got in the building, I was kind of trying to scramble and start to try to get some freelance stuff, some album cover stuff. And I remember I was doing like $100 drawings. I did that whole series of $100 drawings at that point, which is like crazy. Now I can never do something for just $100. So shout out to everybody who got those $100 drawings, because those are like, those were epic. And I used to spend like a long time, like a week on some of those and stuff. It didn't really make sense monetarily. Um, but yeah, I just kind of went back to that scrappy freelance thing, which I love, you know, and, and, and definitely have done the best illustration work of my career, you know, here in Vermont. So, you know, artistically it was the right call. Um, but yeah, when they hit me up for stakes, it was a real homecoming. And I remember just being through the roof excited. And I remember coming back and having, being so hungry and so it was like it felt like I was coming home um to this world that was that I had missed um it felt like I had been really it did feel like I had been gone for a long time and I really it felt like I traveled back to this world that I had not been in in a long time and I remember I got the first breakdown in the first episode and I was so eager I kind of forgot like the protocol of like you know, you get these scenes and you kind of have to make a map in your mind of like, okay, these are the scenes that I've got and, and I've got to make the backgrounds like link up and stuff. And I remember I was so excited that I kind of just started doing all these super epic backgrounds and then I turned them in and then I realized like, oh, I forgot to make sure like all those backgrounds like linked up from like shot to shot. <laughs> I think they I think they kind of more or less did, but I was I remember being like a little rusty uh for the first batch like as far as logistics wise but i was so thrilled and i i i did a lot of really fun backgrounds in in those in those sets and also for stakes i remember i think the show took a took a took a took a a big developmental leap you know in the time i was gone you know seasons you know five and six was really starting to get more into the mythology and world building yeah world building stuff and i remember and i had kind of been out of the loop because i we had come here and i didn't have a tv i didn't you know we didn't have good internet when we came here so i hadn't been even up on the show as much and when i got stakes i remember watching the animatics and it was you know an eight-part series so it's basically like a movie and i remember watching the animatics and thinking my god this is like some of the highest level storytelling i've ever seen in tv cartoons like this is like a movie this is incredible and just being so inspired and so blown away um and so thankful to to come back and 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 be able to revisit the world and and work on this this super creative super fun um the characters all the villains you know all the all the vampires that have been set loose by marceline becoming human again you know, we're just all the characters were so amazing, and and yeah, it just felt so. It felt like a just a hot tub. You know, everything was just so comfortable and relaxing and and fun. And I remember it was crazy because I kind of had to. I had never. It was the first time I had worked on Adventure Time 
when I had my full blown family life going. So I do remember being here and having to spend like all my waking hours working on it to keep up with the workflow. And it really, you know, kind of making our home life a little stressful. Um, but yeah, just being so excited to work on it and, and yeah, just the being like working like nonstop on it. And I remember that was like around the time that I was getting into the UFC and I remember to stay motivated, I would put on all these fights because when you watch UFC, it gives you adrenaline. So I'd be staying up working late at night and just watching UFC fights to like get adrenaline, like all these old fights um, and all these old UFC programs. Uh, uh, I think I had like Sling at the time and they had like all these UFO, uh, not UFO, all these old <laughs> UFC uh programs on there and just binging them like and staying up till like 11 o'clock like working every night on these backgrounds trying to make them like as as good as possible because i wanted to just come back and knock it out of the park and yeah working on those working on that miniseries was so much fun do you have any recollections of stakes i believe i'll be covering that in my oh that's one of your questions okay okay so i mean i can talk about it now yeah no 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 save it save it Oh, freshen this up. This, this episode of the podcast is unofficially sponsored by Maker's Mark. Shout out to Maker's Mark. Making their mark on our lives. <laughs> okay, question five. Yeah. Uh, likewise. Oh. Uh, how did you come to work on those episodes in season nine? Abstract, Fiona and Cake, and Fiona, Whispers, and the finale. Was it your idea uh, to return, or did Adam reach out to you? Um, I mean, I'm sure I told them. So wait, you worked on Stakes, but then you didn't work on anything until Season 9. You did a little more freelance. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I didn't work on Islands. Um, I don't remember if they had reached out to me and I was busy, or if they never got the call for that. I don't remember, but... Yeah, they reached out to me to do, they, they, you know, I'm sure I had told them like, hey, you know, let me know if you guys have more stuff. Um, and uh, I remember when they came to me, they said, yeah, we have a handful of episodes. And, um, and yeah, it was Fiona and Cake and, and Whispers and Abstract. And uh, those were really fun to work on. And again, so Stakes was season seven. Yeah. Season eight, you didn't do anything. And then it wasn't until season nine. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember um, being, again, it feeling like a break had happened and just so excited. Like, like when they came to me for it, like, oh, like now I get to like do my shit. Like, again, it was like I had already come back once and then them, 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 them bringing more stuff. It was like, you know, again, after a gap and, you know, I had been leveling up and doing whatever illustration work in between, you know, all these I started to get crazier with the album covers and I was starting to, you know, I had done the doom album cover and I was starting to have all these crazy breakthroughs. Oh my God. Oh, I got a, I got like a spicy burp coming up. Hold on. I put a lot of hot sauce on my baked ziti tonight. You want a bucket? Uh, 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 uh. Mm. That was a spicy burp. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember just being super excited again to come back and work on it and feeling like I had shaken off the rust the first time I had come back and work on it. So I was feeling like in the flow and uh, and 
I remember abstract in particular, the, the, the dream sequence that Jake has in abstract, I think is probably my finest work on the show. Um, that sequence for some reason where I was in my creativity at the time, I just went bananas on that dream sequence and it, on screen, it's only like five seconds or something. He's like right. walking through his dream. But like that sequence of illustrations of, 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 of backgrounds, um, I mean, I think of them all as sort of illustrations. That sequence of backgrounds, I think, is the finest work. And, and to me, the, the stuff that I was just perfectly, perfectly poised to get super creative on um, just where I was at. And, and, and those backgrounds um, were just super fun to work on. And, and I had major breakthroughs there. And I got in some really funny inside jokes, getting all these tacos into the backgrounds. We were like eating tacos at my parents' house the night I was like working on those backgrounds. We were visiting them and I went through and I was like, oh, it'd be funny if I like put tacos through all these backgrounds. And I put all these tacos in and then I connected it up to this inside joke that me and my buddy Tight Jeans Mocklinson had in, in college of we were in this super packed bar one night. And as people would shoulder by us, we were like chicken taco or beef taco, and someone would be like chicken taco, and then we like another person would just cram by us in this super packed bar, and we'd be like chicken taco or beef taco, and they'd be like beef taco, and then by the end of the night we'd be like chicken taco, and then people would be like fuck that beef taco, and we started this like crazy feud in the bar over like chicken taco or beef taco, and so I weaved the chicken taco beef taco mythology into that into that dream sequence, and. Uh, yeah, it just was like having a lot of fun with it and just feeling super like grateful um, to, to you know, the, the further the show went on and, and the more love it got, just the more of a perspective on it you can get, you know, and, and, and just looking at it and being like, wow, now I get to like work on this again and this is like a cultural phenomenon and like it's such a special thing and and uh, it's it's so nice because I feel like when I was there working on it the first time, you know, it was really just starting to blow up when I left. So to be able to come back and do these freelance stints on it um, were, were really special in a, in a way that's hard to describe, you know, because I felt like, wow, this thing is I understand how special this thing is. And now I get to try to put another big stamp on it, you know, go, go, go even deeper on it. And it had benefited me so much. And then I got to pour that back into it. So, and I, yeah, never really getting seriously burnt out on it or anything. I mean, towards the end, a little bit of, of, you know, when, before I left, like I said, but, but never, you know, to the point where I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm sick of this or anything like that. So. And where, where were you career wise when you were getting these, like, were you starting to get more jobs from other things too? Or yeah, like definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was just like the first year coming back was a little rough because I hadn't been like networking with clients like I usually yeah. would, you know, as a freelance illustrator, you're always like working and sending out a huge part of your job is just kind of foreseeing you know, planting seeds, right? You're always planting seeds, messaging musicians you want to work with, checking in with art directors you've worked with. It's like, it's a, you're always kind of circling around and, 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 and kind of planting seeds. And I hadn't done that for years. You know, I had just taken what had come to me, but I hadn't been networking at all. So I had to kind of get that up and running again. And I was very excited to do that. And I was feeling like it was very much time to do that. And, and so much of the fact that I rejected, you know, the, the, the work that Adventure Time wanted to give me, you know, because that would have kind of altered where my life was going at that point. 
Um, but then, yeah, once I got reestablished and, and got my got my freelance stuff going, I was get, I was really starting to, you know, I think the best album cover work that I did was after Adventure Time. So I was really in the flow of a, of, of, of a lot of my best uh, album cover work and mm-hmm. stuff. So, yeah, um, like I said, the MF Doom cover and, and the series of covers that that were starting to get really detailed, um, the, the Factoria cover um, and the... Um, I forget what the uh, what the other two were, but there was a oh the Amoeba and Andromeda, and uh, there was one other one that were I decided to make them as detailed as possible, and that was all kind of around the same time. Mm-hmm. So so it was I was diving much deeper into my skill set at that time, and and I think that was what was fun to apply that back to Adventure Time. I'm gonna ask this next question. In what I imagine Paul Thomas's voice sounds like. Okay. Okay. You touched on this briefly in the last podcast. Oh, shit. It sounds different in my head. I don't know if it's coming across. I feel like he has a deep voice. Okay. All right. What was your reaction when you saw other background artists for the show? (laughs) Emulating your unique style. I'm particularly impressed by folks like Andy Restaino and Chris Sariotis, who are able to match your style almost flawlessly. Yeah, it that's a funny thing. I feel like that's the first time that I started to really see people draw in my style. And I remember actually Chris Sariotis is, I remember the first time I saw, cause he would do freelance on like big, 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 uh, episodes. He wasn't like a staff guy or no, he was, a, was he a staff guy? I think so. Okay. Maybe he started out doing freelance. I can't remember, but cause it was me and, uh, what's his name? What was the other, his name is escaping me. Um, uh, fuck. I can't remember. It, I'm just blanking on it, wow. but the the other main background designer, I've wow. ta- I've, I've mentioned his name a million times on the podcast. Shout out, not no shame, no shame. Big time. It'll come back. It'll come back. But there was it was it, there was me and this other background designer. We were like the the main guys, and then I, if I remember right, Chris would like he would do some overflow stuff, and then I think he might have come on uh-huh. after that. Me and Santino, Santino oh, was the other background yeah. artist. Um, but yeah, I remember the first time I saw. Chris's stuff come back and or I don't know if it was the first time, but I remember the death and bloom episode. I saw some stuff come back of his and I was like, I did a double take. I looked at it and I was like, huh, I don't remember drawing that. And I said, Oh, I didn't draw that. And it was like a weird mm-hmm. mind fuck. And I was like, Oh my God, that's crazy. Um, and then, yeah, you get like more used to it, but yeah, I remember it feeling very, very eerie and and very surreal in the beginning but you kind of get used to it quick i mean once you're going through episode after episode and and you know i set the style for the show so that's just kind of you know the the world that everybody's drawing in but um but yeah it was very fun actually the weirdest thing in that in that respect was that after i left the show and then and then i started freelancing and stuff and then particularly when the finale was coming up when I was going to work on the finale and I binged watched all the episodes with Wolfie, we started at season one and watched them all. And there was some stuff I hadn't seen. 
and to see like w- like after I had left the show like people continue to like develop the world in new areas like obviously in my style and stuff it was like to see to see my stylizations that I had applied to one set of the world then taken and expanded in other areas of the world was like just incredible and it was like it was mind blowing. It was like, wow, like it's like it's like I drew this, but I didn't. It was it's like such a strange thing to try to describe to somebody that hasn't experienced it. But also, like, there's a Nintendo Switch game for uh, it's the the Pirates of the Inchiridion, um, the the Adventure Time Pirates of the Inchiridion for Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. And that game is all the world of Adventure Time 2. And it's this 3D video game. And to see my stuff like as this video game and Wolfie's playing this, you know, yeah. we're playing this video game. Like it's so surreal and, and so crazy to see, you know, what, what I was just sitting there developing on my desk be, you know, taken and expanded and then turned into episodes and then turned into this whole elaborate video game and like and like oh I didn't draw that but that's like how I would draw it like it's a very interesting and surreal thing so it's it's really cool and then and then also to see like there's that aspect of it the professional aspect but then there's the aspect of the of of the fan artwork that comes in and it's like you know that 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 there's a larger influence of, of of the style on the fans and then and then stuff like that and then and then because my my profile rises, there's more people just kind of drawing in my style in general and kind of seeing that pop up and people saying like, oh, I love his work and this is, a, you know, I love Gosham's work and inspiration on mine. And then you can see the, you can see people drawing in my style because, you know, I started out drawing X-Force characters and, you know, one of my best friends, Luke Dubois, he just messaged me the other day with some shit that was just like mine. And he's like, look at this people drawing in your shit and I was like I know isn't that funny like we used to draw comics together in middle school like we used to sit there and draw our favorite characters and now people draw my shit like how cool is that like you know so it's it's very surreal and very flattering and very inspiring to think that I've been able to do things in my career that that get other people excited enough to sit at their desk for fun and draw that you know is just that's so cool to me that's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced I remember I was working on the eyes. Eyes? Whatever that was. <laughs> it was like a season two episode. But I, I had to draw Finn and Jake in the in their bedroom. And I remember because I was like, you know, I'm not I'm a, I'm a writer primarily, I'm not an artist. And I was like, I get really stressed out when I have to draw backgrounds or, you know, just like figure out where they're sitting. And I remember mm-hmm. just go I went to the one of the, you know, coordinators. I was like, Can I get some of Gotram's backgrounds? <laughs> of like the bedroom and then i was like okay there's the window and i just like i just traced your drawing yeah. and, then, and then put finn and jake in there yeah and i was like i'm a genius <laughs> <laughs> all right question seven we have two two questions to go yeah we're doing good okay were there any background pieces that you designed which really resonated with the fandom in a way you weren't expecting? Weren't expecting. Were not. Um, I mean, I think I had zero expectations of like what was going to happen with this show anyway. Um, Have you talked about the... I, I think this... I found this out really late that you... Your, that Candy Kingdom was your test. 
you've talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual, yeah. I mean, I mean, because I tested at first. I did like maybe two or three iterations of the treehouse as a test, and then I did two iterations of the Candy Kingdom as a test. And yeah, I have the the original drawings. And that was you drew the Gumball Guardians. And- yeah, yeah, and 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 the the actual the second drawing I did of the Candy Kingdom as a test for the show got digitally inked and became the actual background of the Candy Kingdom, which is pretty crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the iterations of the of the treehouse um, that I did for a test was four pieces of paper that I put together, and my dad has that framed in their in their uh, dining room. Yeah, uh, which is pretty cool. This like pencil drawing of this iteration of the treehouse. But you're talking about like world building before, and like the show expanding, and like that original Candy Kingdom drawing had the tree in the middle, which yep. became such a huge part of the origin and like the uh, Nettie and like. It's so it's it's crazy to think you know it's like rattle balls wouldn't exist without the Gumball Guardians and like yeah like so many great ideas came out of just that drawing yeah that's exactly that's that's one of the things that I wrote down was the was the um, yeah the because people often think I created certain characters in the show because they look like my style or whatever but I think there was just such a mind melding of all the people on the show and our sensibilities were so similar that our work flawlessly fed into one another and the only characters that I actually did create were the gumball guardians right. inadvertently just through that I had them blowing bubbles that were actually becoming planets like I had this idea that you could see, the planets up in the sky yeah. above them and that they were like had these little bubble blowers and they were blowing planets out of these bubble blowers um and i and they're kind of sitting on the wall of the of the candy castle and so um, when you get a test it's like they show you like artwork of like princess Bulgum, and they're like here's princess Bulgum, draw her kingdom or something geez i don't even remember i remember in the beginning i think because they were having trouble finding someone if i remember correctly they didn't even really show me anything they were like i was like is there like a bible or something and there was but they were like we don't want you to see it we just want (laughs) you to do your thing right right and i was like okay and so I was just doing that and, and, um, and yeah, so that candy kingdom drawing was done and, and yeah, so the, the gumball guardians definitely, uh, like the fact that they became characters and like, and then in like the finale, there's like such epic gumball guardian, like battling yeah. and like one of them becomes bad and like, you know, like I would just, that stuff delights me to no end. I'm like, just tittle. I'm like, like, oh, like a little kid when I see that, it's just so delightful to me. You know that 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 developed and that happened. Um, so yeah, definitely that. Um, the the one that people always ask me about is the cop cars in the underworld. You know yeah. that like that resonated with people for some reason, like a lot. So like I don't know. I'm always thinking of just like I'm always just getting visions of things in my head that are funny and like they strike me as odd or funny. So I'll put them in there. And so that was just kind of, you know, one that one that for some reason resonated with people like I didn't I didn't realize how iconic the treehouse was going to be, like how the treehouse was going to be so synonymous with the show. And and you see it so many places, you know, like like it's right in the middle of the of the of the Monopoly board for Adventure Time. Like my dad is like a big fan of all this and he collects all the toys and all this stuff and like the that 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 iconography is on so much of the merchandise the the treehouse and you know when i was sitting there drawing it yeah obviously had no idea that this show was gonna 
you know, be as big as it is and that it was going to become so iconic and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, the, one of the things that was such a, such an amazing surprise to me was, yeah, that the, that the, the, of, of the whole thing of, of, uh, of Princess Bubblegum's brother in there with the sucking on the roots of the tree and then making the juice and like, I mean, yeah, to think that that all that that I did this background, but then it become a whole part of the story, and it's like people are like, you know, diving deeper into that, and that you could, and that I can make a background juicy enough that would allow people to go in and 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 build, you know, stories and and mythology around it is so cool because. You know, I think a lot of times backgrounds are sort of an afterthought and a lot of shows that you watch, you know, you'll look at a, just a kind of run of the mill cartoon and the backgrounds are obviously throwaway stuff. People aren't putting thought into it and coming at, at it with no formal training. I mean, I literally did my first professional background or I even my first thought of a background was on Adventure Time and done for Adventure Time. I mean, I had never even thought of the concept of a background before that. Um, and, and so I was approaching everything as an illustrator and trying to make special storytelling moments happen in as much of the backgrounds as possible. You know, that was my goal was like, just because this is a background doesn't mean it can't be just as interesting as a character. And I'm, my goal was to make the world of Adventure Time be just like a giant character and, and, and have, and, and always go beyond the story. Like there was obviously a story to each episode that I got when I'm looking at the storyboard and watching the animatic, but I always loved the idea of doing a story beyond, beyond the story, kind of hinting that there's, there's, there's so much depth to this world that there's all these things going on behind the scenes that are just being hinted at in the backgrounds and putting in all these hidden details. And, and that's what kept me engaged in the process of doing all those backgrounds and having fun with them you know, getting a little joke in each one. And, and then that ended up, you know, leading to all these opportunities for people to story tell and build off them, which I think is so cool and fun. Well, the last question kind of, you might've already answered it. What are some of your favorite background pieces? Do any have a bit of lore that you worked into the show that you're particularly proud of? Um, well, I think some of my favorite backgrounds are that I ever did. I think some of my best work, like I said, the the dream Jake's dream sequence in abstract. Um, I think that's the best work I ever did on the show. Um, and uh, the wrecked treehouse um, for the finale is some of the best work I ever did on the show. And and most of that got edited out. And I thought it probably would like. Like, like half of some of those drawings got taken out because they sort of varied from the layout. In the layout, the wreck treehouse is on a hilltop and I think they wanted it to be kind of a big vista. But to just draw the treehouse as just rubble on the ground, you know, when I came to it, I knew like, oh man, I can't just draw a bunch of rubble on the ground as the treehouse. I have to draw the treehouse like ripped open and like I have to try to get as many of the iconic items of the treehouse throughout it as possible. So I, I varied from the layout of the background a little bit and kind of jumped up into what would have been kind of the horizon of the sky. And, 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 and normally you wouldn't 
kind of mess with the composition of a shot. I didn't really change anything, but I just kind of bumped into some of the space that they had marked off for sky. I, I kind of ended up tearing the treehouse in two and, and so I could draw kind of a cross section and really have fun with it and go insane with it. And even though I knew this was probably going to get taken out or, you know, whatever, it might not actually make it on screen. That never really mattered to me. Like I didn't want to give every anybody a headache <clears throat> of, of having to edit my drawings or anything like that. But I always felt like it was my duty to do the best version of that drawing that I could while it was on my desk for myself as an artist and an illustrator and for the fans and for the, 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 the everybody else that enjoyed the show as well. So I think some of those backgrounds, even though that, even though the, the best of the drawing that I did on it didn't make it to the screen, I think those are some of the best backgrounds I ever did. Um, I think uh, uh, the, the main locations, like I said, I was in such a crazy state during the time of the first season that I think I was like just out of my mind doing all the drawings of the original treehouse and stuff. And those were such detailed, insane drawings. I was almost like blacked out. It was like the Michael Jordan flu game. Like you're almost just like just blacked out going, you know? So, so, uh, I think the main locations, um, I think are all some of the best stuff that I did for it. Um, the gumball guardians, uh, like we said, you know, the way that they worked into the lore and then, uh, yeah, I just had the, the note about, you know, how, you know, all the lore that came out of the drawings that I had for the candy kingdom. Um, you know, uh, those were the, those were, I think the ones that, that, uh, come to mind the most for me. Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. All right. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> I think we should keep going. Just do mine. We'll yeah. Do, we'll bang these up. Okay. Right? Well, I mean, time-wise, we'll cut it there for one episode. No, it shall be one. It shall be like that'll be too long of an episode. No, but if you do one with just me, it's going to be like fifteen minutes. That's a, well. Let's just see. That's okay. Uh, That's okay. Let's okay. just see. Let's just see. But wait, okay. let's just keep going. No, keep going. <laughs> no, that'll be logistically harder for me. Oh, just okay. calm down. It's okay. We got All this. Right. We got this. Okay. All right. All right. Paul Thomas. I hope I did you justice asking, <laughs> asking your questions. Yeah, I mean, like, this probably isn't the best format for a for a for a uh, interview that he's going to transcribe. But I'm not sure either of us would have actually sat down and right. written out answers. Well, you're smart. So. I mean, yeah, you're because you're like, I'll. He's like, will you answer these questions? You're like, I'll do it on my podcast. That's that's smart. You yeah, got, you guys, you're you're always thinking. You're always like, I can. Well, because it had been a year. He was like, wow, it's been a year since I contacted you, and I was like, oh shit, like I got to either say like yes or no. Right. Well, he he emailed me, and the, the last sentence he wrote, I'm sure, because the show just ended, you probably don't want to talk about. It. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, yeah, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was his. And then I think like six months later, he was like, hey, just following up. Like, do you want to? And I just, uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you're just like, I just don't want to, I don't want to, uh, it's easier to talk about it in person. Like yeah. if, if I ran into him, you know, at a bar and he was right. like, Hey, can I ask you questions about adventure? I would be like, yeah, sure. Yeah. But just the idea of like it, it, answering someone's email and like, I don't know. And I feel bad cause you, you know, growing up, you know, I used to write baseball players letters yeah. and, you yeah. know, and you always hear about like, someone's like, I wrote to Charles Schultz. And he wrote me back like a ten-page letter, yeah, you know, answered yeah. all my questions. So yeah. it seems like the cool thing to do, but also it's it's very easy to like when you get an email to like just close your computer and be like, yeah. ah, I just pretend I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Well, we're giving it to him. We're giving it to him. Yeah. He's getting a treasure. This is a real treat. You know, yeah. this, is a, this is a. He's got to like listen to this and pause it and then and write and, then, <laughs> and hit play and then listen and then pause and write. Yeah. Hopefully, he can decipher something. Uh, you know. Yeah. Manageable out of this. I hope McFarlane. <laughs> gave, him la- gave him some money. Yeah. And company. and company. Who's the company? Rob Liefeld. Uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> All right. So that's it for this installment. And we will return with Kent's interview, which awesome. is going to be obviously the better and most higher rated. And actually, it's hilarious that you even that the thought crossed your mind that this is a competition because there's no contest actually between our knowledge of the show because number one you're the writer of the show and you were in the studio and you were much more tapped into it and i was you know real outsider coming into it and mostly worked from my house so i was very much more outside the loop so you have much more of an insider knowledge like I always think like when Ghost Scouts come here, they think I'm going to be this wealth of knowledge about Adventure Time. I have a wealth of knowledge about my experience on the show, but not much else. And you have a wealth of knowledge about the show on a much higher level than me, for sure. No, I don't remember any of it. <laughs> and I smoke so much pot that I remember almost nothing. So you're definitely a much more. You're like the Library of Congress of Adventure Time That's compared to me. Well, compared to you, sure. <laughs> exactly. Well, so, well, there's only the two of us here, so. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going for the intermission. Boom. <laughs> there you go. Paul Thomas. Shout out to the boy, to the man out there in the world. Uh, you know, I know you're going to have fun combing through and Picking out some some tidbits, some giblets out of this juicy, saucy mess in here. Um, hopefully, there's some gems in there, some some fun stuff, some fun information, um, and uh, definitely uh, stay tuned to the next episode, episode eighty, um, that will drop. Uh, today or tomorrow with my man Kent Osborne's side of the interview. Um, it's really fun as we get deeper into the night and go on a even deeper dive into adventure time, you know, so hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, let's see what else is going down. Um, spots to the uh, seventh round of the 12-week online group workshop are uh, up for grabs right now. If people are interested, it's going to start probably mid-April. Um, and uh, people wanted a longer lead time in order to uh, have kind of a payment plan situation before the workshop started. So we're facilitating that for the first time in this round. Um, and you can do, uh, you know, whatever installments make sense to you. Uh, the class is $1,200. And as long as you're paid up by the time we start, boom, we're golden. So there are four spots taken. Uh, that means there's six spots left. And my man Alfonso de Anda, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Psych Lord, is going to be the assistant for the first time in that round of the workshop. He sat in on many um, in the in the past and, of course, been a, been a counselor at Ghost Scout Training Camp. And he's one of my major homies. He had a banger episode recently on this podcast. Uh, he's been on a couple times, so check it, check it, check it out. We are bringing you the inspiration, y'all. And, you know, I just want to say a big shout out to all the people 
um, out there that hit me up and tell me how much the the podcast means to them. It's it, it really is special, you know, to hear that it's an inspiration to people. That is truly why we're up here doing it. I wanted to share all these amazing creative conversations that I have with my friends all the time with the globe. You know what I'm saying? All the people around this flat, hollow globe, right? This spherical fucking chamber of secrets that we call the planet Earth. And my God, you know, it's just so exciting, so hyped to be able to keep all this shit going and rolling. Um, I feel like I'm really in the zone with life right now. Things are going so fucking well. Uh, for the Bandit family, and we're just having so much fun, uh, starting to warm up here a little bit at the end of the winter, um, I mean, we still got technically a solid month of winter up here in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, um, but the but we've had a pretty warm week, I hit 60 yesterday, which was insane, um, and uh, the snow's starting to melt a little bit, we still got plenty, and I'm sure we're going to get more, but the the, the weather is trending warmer so spring is right around the corner. Um, and uh, yeah, very exciting. Also, my man fucking John Mansfield, a.k.a. Beard Lips, a.k.a. Uh, Crognack, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Training Camp Year 6 Champion, um, is going to be visiting next week to... Uh, uh, participate in the first ever Maple Scouts. Listeners to this podcast will remember last time Kent was on a few episodes back, we <laughs> decided to do uh, a week-long Maple Scout experience for one Go Scout, and uh, a few applied, and uh, we picked John, and he is coming to boil syrup uh, with Kent and me and Wolfie's going to be hanging out and we're going to do a little winter hike and we're going to, you know, do some jam drawings and have some fun. So a little bit of scout fun in the middle of winter or towards the end of winter, I guess we should say. Um, technically spring is only a few weeks away, which is pretty exciting. Now, you know, Vermont doesn't get the message for a little bit, but I digress. Uh, let's kick it over to the Patreon here let me pull it up um if you enjoy this podcast and you want to show some love there are many ways to do it you can go to itunes and subscribe for sure uh you can subscribe on soundcloud um and if you're feeling an episode share it around who do you know that doesn't listen to the Ghostroom and Friends podcast that would love to listen to it that that needs a little hype in their life you know that's a visual artist um, and uh, they can maybe benefit from our special brand of excitement that we bring on this podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, you can also go to ghostroomglobal.com and pick up a uh, Ghost Room of Friends podcast sweatshirt, um, T-shirt. Uh, of course, there's tons of other merch, Ghost Room hats, uh, tote bags, all kinds of cool on-demand uh, products for you, the fans, to rock in your life and and pledge your support for what I'm doing out here and, and giving the magic back to you. You know what I'm saying? I'm out here hyping y'all up. If you want to show some love, you can do that. Um, you can also head on over to patreon.com slash ghostshrimp and you can support the podcast directly right there and uh we're gonna get into some shout outs for people who supported the last episode which was episode 70 oh shit did i jump ahead 
The last episode was 70... 76? Oh, shit. What did we say this one was? 79? How did I get that so mixed up? Oh, my God. <laughs> I guess we'll just keep it that way and go back and do some episodes. Oh, man, that's hilarious. I don't know what I'm going to do about that. Uh, shit. Fuck. Let me cut this. Well, fuck it. You know, it's in the spirit of this podcast and myself being a major fuck up that we are going to disregard the jump in numbers here. We will go back and we will fill in episode 77 and episode 78 after these two episodes, 79 and 80, because why the fuck not, right? This must be serendipitous. Uh, I don't know where I got it in my head that these were episodes 79 and 80, but we just roll in with it, you know, because really, what's in a number? And once they're all up, it's not going to make a difference anyway. And we like wackiness and we don't play by the fucking rules. You know what I'm saying? We're creating our own reality. We're creating our own... Uh, uh, um, <laughs> We're creating our own sequence of numbers here at the Ghost Room of Friends podcast. So back to the back to the regularly scheduled program. I'm um, getting to these shout outs. These are for everybody who supported episode 76 with my man Aiden Days. Um, and what a fucking episode that was. That was truly one of the most inspirational episodes that I think we've ever had. Um, so, uh, everybody that supported is, uh, getting a little shout out here. We got the $1 level, that dripping breakfast smoothie, that nutrients that you know you need, uh, as a group, big shout out to those $1 members. Holla! Shout out to the green smoothie members. Um, every dollar counts. I really appreciate it. Shout out to all the homies and the workshoppers and 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 all the all the fans supporting at that one dollar level. At the two dollar and up level, you get a shout out by name on the podcast. You know what I'm saying? So, and that that's what we call a little beef stew shout out. And uh, kicking it off with the beef stew shout outs, ladle up a big old bowl of beef stew for Olive Furbog. Oh shit, we got a Ghost Scout on deck. Her name is Computer Person. You know I'm talking about Lermy. And uh, make sure you go and check out the uh, Lerm's fucking new newsletter that she's got going um all about that worm lifestyle you know what i'm saying that learn worm lifestyle um go check her out she's been on this podcast um i forget exactly what her uh instagram is off the top of my head but you can look up learn worm you can look up uh you can google her you can find her episodes on this podcast and click the link um, but my girl's out here killing it and coming off the ghost scout residency this past summer she has been very productive and her her she is just evolving and making breakthroughs and really starting to put it together um, in her visual arts career so very exciting very cool i mean not just starting she's been putting it together you know what i'm saying she's been killing it um, she has really stepped up and gotten her rep up. So be on the lookout for these powerful Ghost Scouts living their fucking dream lives. Um, shout out to a current workshopper crushing it. My man in Japan, Craig Bowers. Get that beef stew, homie. 
Uh, big shout out to Sam Bag. Get yourself some beef stew. We got my man Shell Durkin, straight out the online workshop alumni group. And the Crab Conspiracy. You know we're talking about that Crab Conspiracy. Head on over to Patreon and support my man Crab the God. You know him as Bark the Dog. Uh, we got my man Matt Bollinger. Uh-oh, says that payment was declined, homie. Fucking better sort that shit out. Uh, we got my girl over in Armenia from the Workshop Alumni Group Comics, Queen Shemaram. We got another Ghost Scout. He's sweating out there because he is Butterflesh. You know what I'm talking about. Seth Bird. Uh, we got a big shout out going to Gerard Jones. Get yourself some beef stew. Straight out the online workshop alumni group. My man, The Nobby Wood, a.k.a. Bobby Morgan, out here crushing it. Get yourself a bowl of beef stew, Chris Burke. Uh-oh. Fucking jumping from the free throw line with his tongue out, slam dunking it. None other than Michael Joran, a.k.a. Joran Thornton, out here doing it. Get some beef stew, Devin Newman. Big bowl of beef stew going out to California, to Alejandro Fuentes, workshop alumni. Uh, big shout out to another workshop alumni, Jesse Primo. We are really building quite a group. There has been as many people that have gone through the workshop now as have gone through Ghost Scout training camp, and that alumni group is getting strong. Now we're over there on Slack, and people are just sharing work in there, getting each other hyped. I'm sharing some of the videos from the current workshop in there to you know get, get a little extra pep in those alumni step, because that's what it's all about, out here inspiring people. Uh-oh, the man himself Kent Osborne, a.k.a. Ghost Scout Harvest Moon, a.k.a. my newest, bestest friend, a.k.a. my neighbor. What a cool thing. Uh, big shout out to Ghost Scout, Mr. Husband, a.k.a. Chris Murray. Big Beef Stew, shout out going to Ryan Sims. We got another Ghost Scout on deck, my man, Frog. oh my god, excuse me, Frogadile Dundee. Ooh, still got a mild taste of whiskey in these burps. That's that maker's mark for you. Uh, big shout out going to Br uh, Michael Broncano. Luckily, I'm not hungover, remarkably. I was very well hydrated when I went over and I continued to hydrate. That's the key, right? Uh, big shout out going to Anthony Scott. Stop motion legend. Living legend. Uh, big shout out to my man Daniel Foothead out there in New Zealand. Big shout out. Hey, what, what's the what's the what's the deal with the connection, homie? Let's get you on the podcast. 
talking to Foothead about jumping on here and giving us an update from New Zealand, right? We recently heard from Australia with Camp Champ Chap Masterly. Um, we got a big shout out going to Ghost Scout Alexi Giroux, aka Cheeky Bookie. Big shout out going to a Hollywood hotshot, Mark Osborne. Big shout out to Bark the Dog, a.k.a. Crab the God, a.k.a. Alexander Lansing, the man, the myth, the legend, the branding phenom, the current assistant in round six of the 12-week online group workshop, killing it, inspiring people, loving it. Dude, we roll deep. You know what I'm saying? The the Ghost Scout crew rolls deep. The Ghost Scouts are cousins, and then the fucking workshoppers, they the second cousins. We building a big old family tree out here. You want to join in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Sign up for that workshop today. Hit me up. Uh, we got a big bowl of beefs too going to Jesse Kakakadoni. Big shout out going to, oh, we bumping it up to that $3 level. A little extra beef stew going to my man, my Pratt homie, Raphael Tangho. And he is destroying it right now, drawing 100 Batmen on Instagram. My man is back at it. You know what I'm saying? The most talented kid I have ever met. The most talented visual artist drawer I've ever seen in real life working on these drawings. Um, my man is crushing it. Go check him out. Oxtails.with.cocktails on the gram. Um, check him out. He's doing, he's 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 getting back into drawing and he's one of the best to ever do it. So it's very exciting. Uh, big shout out at that five dollar level. Oh shit, fire up the grill. It's heating up. Open the fridge. Get those all oh, those steak tips. They've been marinating for quite a while. It's been a couple weeks since our last episode. These are extra fucking marinated steak tips. At that $5 level, you get that steak tip shout out. And we're kicking it off. Throw a juicy piece of meat on the grill. It's for my man, Johan Everby. And obviously when I say man, I mean man, woman, child, alien. I have no idea what everybody's gender or gender preferences are out there. So, you know, when we say things, we say everything. Um, Big shout out to Puerto Rico, to workshop alumni, Yvonne Santiago. Uh Uh-oh, declined. Get that shit in order, Yvonne. We got another marinated steak tip sizzling on the griddle. What if we did one on the George Foreman grill this time? I don't have that, but my little brother used to love that shit. Shout out to Chris James. Uh, Big marinated steak tip shout out goes to Pablo Meiji, a.k.a. Young Wolf T. Everybody on these shout outs should just AKA their own 
like code name. Just make up your own code name. Make up your Gosher and Friends podcast code name. Let's get everybody on these shout outs with a code name. Let's make the shout outs twice as long by having twice as many names. Come on, guys. Let's have some fun with this. Come on, girls. Come on, people. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. Uh, big shout out going to another current workshopper. Steak tip for my man in California, Skyler Bloom. Doing that sick photo collage shit in the workshop. Anything goes in the workshop. The workshop is to multiply what you do and make it even stronger and better. We we just develop you for 12 weeks in this workshop. And that is the name of the game. And it's incredible and it's transformative. And if you come in and you show up and you do the work every fucking week, you will level up many times over and you will shoot out of that workshop like a fucking rocket. Okay. Uh, we got another, speaking of current workshoppers, Shout out to Mullet Man over there in lovely old England. Uh, we got big shout out to workshop alumni Kayla Dakota. Hope everything's good down there, down south. Uh, over in Maine, lurking around the Norway Brewery, Norway Brewing Company. You know I'm talking about my girl, Erica Moose. You got to check them out over there, the Norway Brewing Company. They are the homies. Shout out to the Melhus clan, you know, friends of the family. Uh, spring is just around the corner. Oh shit. We're going to get over there soon, maybe at the end of the month. And then, you know, they're going to be here before long because it's going to be camping weather. Uh, uh, oh, and that was the last, that was the final steak tip shout out. Now we are kicking over the grill and all of a sudden everything's catching on fire and right now there's a forest fire raging and the ground is crumbling it's an earthquake the earth is opening up and a giant red hand is coming out and it is satan's hand it is of apocalypse armageddon has arrived we are being pulled down into hell and what is satan doing Oh my God, he's serving up his own marinated tube steak. And we're talking about dick meats. Oh shit. And of course, these are vegan and non-vegan. Everything is offered from this podcast in vegan and non-vegan form because we got a big shout out to all the Ghost Scout vegans and all the vegans out there in the world. You know what I'm saying? Big, big, big shout out. Um, and so with the first Satan's marinated tube steak shout out. Oh, it's sizzling. Oh, it's grizzling. Oh, you know, that's some chewy fucking meat right there. And that's a spicy old bite. One bite is all it takes. And you fucking are done. And that goes out to my man, Zeta Fellow, Oyster River High School alumni. Man, those roots run deep. Uh, and workshop alumni, of course, and crab conspiracy co-conspirator. Um, and then uh, last but not least, we got a vegan slice off of Satan's old dick. 
to my man who is going to be here in a few short days, none other than camp champion Beard Lips, a.k.a. Krognak, a.k.a. John Mans Field. Holy shit. Super psyched to see my boy. Uh, that is going to be very fun. Um, all right. So jump right into that next epi with fucking Penn's interview. And we will see you there. I mean, what did I say? Penn's interview? Ken's interview. Did I say Penn? Did I say Kent? What am I fucking talking about? See ya.